they went on then to proceed to tell me that my husband had molested my daughter eventually just trying to kill myself because it was like so i felt like i was on another planet this is not the united states they don't operate this way i thought <laughs> now i see a lot of tyranny in government for example what's up everybody today i'm talking with susan gabriel and in this video in this interview we're going to be talking about her story how she got through her journey ways and strategies to cope with hard times how to keep going when times get tough and how she cps should be handled and some of the politics surrounding that so in just a minute you're going to find out why all those points i just said value because once you hear her story you're going to find out what a strong woman this is and why her strategies to get through hard times and ways to cope are going to be so beneficial to you so susan do you want to take five to ten minutes and just outline your story because i think you can do a much better job of that than i can yeah i'd be happy to um well it the premise of my book where it really starts is six weeks after I got married to my second husband. My first marriage was a little bit of a disaster, um, but I did get two beautiful daughters out of it. And at the time that I uh, got married to my second husband, the younger daughter was eight and the older was 15. Um, when uh, one day about six weeks after we had gotten married, I got a phone call at work and the a person on the other end said, this is the Department of Social Services and we have your daughter. And I, I was in shock. I had no idea what they were talking about. I thought probably my older daughter because she was a teenager or 15, more likely to get into trouble. They said, no, we have your younger daughter. Um, and they said they wanted me to come down right away to talk to them. So I rushed down to their facility um, and uh, went in and I sat down. I said, well, where's, you know, where's Emily? Where's my daughter? And they said, well, she's in another room. I want to talk to you first. They went on then to proceed to tell me that my husband had molested my daughter. And I was absolutely floored. First of all, I had no idea what they were talking about. I said, what do you, where, where, how did it happen? What happened? What did she say? And they said, well, she said he tickled her. And I was really puzzled by that because I knew that. I mean, that was nothing. They were they were two kids playing together all the time. So, you know, he would tickle her. She would giggle. It was, uh, you know, normal horseplay. So I said, well, where? And they said, well, on the stomach and on the, the knee. And again, I it just made no sense to me at all that, you know, in my mind, it would never be considered molestation. So then they said, you have to believe what we're telling you. You have to kick your husband out of the house. He cannot come into any contact with your daughter. Um, and you may not get your daughter back at all unless you kick him out of the house. So I was... I was just in shock. I had no idea. They said, I said, well, can I talk to her? And they said, no, they were not going, going to allow me to talk to her at all. So I wanted to ask to talk to a supervisor and they didn't let me do that either. So I, all I could do was leave. And I went back home, um, talked to my husband and he was absolutely floored and devastated too. And, you know, he thought that we both thought she was lying or, or somehow there was some kind of a mistake. Um, well, he, they asked him to go down and be interviewed as well. And his interview lasted about a minute because 
he asked them for some kind of evidence or proof or what was it where was the report showing that this had been stated and they said they couldn't show him anything so uh he just they said you have to admit that you're guilty that was all they said you, we won't talk to you unless you admit your guilt and uh so they said it said basically the same thing to me too that i had to force him to admit that he was guilty um and uh so it, we got an attorney uh we talked to attorney psychologists we talked to all different kinds of experts they advised him not to move out of the house they said because if he does it's going to look like you support that he's guilty that you believe he's guilty and that you're cooperating and prosecuting so i knew he was innocent so there was no question in my mind but i i just couldn't and but it was killing me because i wasn't able to see my daughter um until a couple of weeks later they finally allowed me to see her for about an hour in the social services building under supervision and um it it took quite a while before we found out what had happened and it was just a misunderstanding of something that my daughter had said in school and her teacher uh reported it to the principal they reported it to the authorities the authorities came out they took her away and that was that um you know there was no real investigation at all and uh it it was it just kept rolling on and on and on. I thought it was going to end. You know, I kept thinking this is going to be over. And months months went by. And every time we went to court, uh, there was another ruling that was against us. Um, and finally, I got to a point where I, I couldn't take it anymore. And I tried to kill myself. And I regret that now very much. But at the time, I just was in so much pain. I felt like I was just ruining everybody's life, uh, that I was kind of stuck into the middle of an impossible situation. Uh, and I uh, went into the mountains, took a whole bunch of pills, and then laid down to die. Uh, I lost consciousness. And then I uh, suddenly was aware of sitting on a curb outside of a grocery store. So <laughs> I was. I, I had told God when I laid down to die, I said, God, if you want me to live, you're going to have to do something because I can't take this anymore. So apparently God did want me to live <laughs> because there I was sitting in front of the grocery store. And um, it's kind of a long story how I got there. But, you know, it, it, it shows the kind of devastation that an agency like that can create in a family. You know where there is no abuse they come in and abuse the family and you know that it was it made me more and more angry as time went on uh, my husband was charged with a felony for this episode it supposedly happened uh, tickling again um and uh they charged him with a felony he went to trial and he was found not guilty but even after he was found not guilty they continued to prosecute me um, because they said that I had failed to uh, uh, save her or to prevent the abuse, to protect her from the abuse. But there wasn't any abuse. And I, it's like I, I wanted to just scream at them. You know, there was no abuse. How can you say I'm guilty of something that uh, protecting her from an event that didn't happen? So anyway, it was extremely frustrating. Um, 
and I my relationship with God I'd gone into this as a Christian but my relationship with God is just had just really gotten completely decimated um, because I felt like I prayed and he never heard me and he didn't answer and uh, I was just beside myself but one thing that even after he was found not guilty we were angry and when we found out that we couldn't sue them uh, which is what was recommended to us by another lawyer that we we sued the department of social services and the prosecutor's office and anybody else who was involved in it but we found out we couldn't because they are protected by something called the, the a doctrine of sovereign immunity and that means that you have to get the government's permission to sue them and that's any kind of governmental agency so that was kind of a shock to us um and it just made us more angry because that we had no recourse and we kept thinking how can they keep doing this and then we started a, a nonprofit organization because as soon as i started talking about this i went on radio shows talk, talk shows uh i started speaking out on um uh, letters to the editor and then i got invited to the colorado press association to give them a speech about this uh, so I did that, and the more I talked, the more people came forward and said the same kind of thing had happened to them. So we started this organization, and uh, it just it just kept growing and growing, and we started getting calls from people in other states. They said the same thing was going on in the other states. We formed a, a, a network, eventually we called it Vocal National Network, Victims of Child Abuse Laws. Uh, is the vocal part and uh, we called it vocal national network so we would connect anyone who came we had an 800 number that was publicized in a national magazine so our phone never stopped ringing we had to shut the ringer off and then just put it on a message you know for them to leave a message for us to call them back or leave their address if they wanted us to send them information this was in the era before uh, there was um, uh you know the web <laughs> it was there was no internet so no cell phones no internet nothing yeah everything was all done by paper so when when they asked for information we had to make copies of paper and send them actual paper so you know it was a lot of work but we had a lot of other people who were in the organization with us so they were volunteers and the organization just kept on growing so we started fighting back uh, we started talking to Department of Social Service about what was wrong with their operation. Uh, we had a little difficulty actually convincing them that there was a problem uh, because the things that the social workers were doing were unknown to the people who were overseeing, like the, the director had no idea what was going on. Uh, so there was a lot of disconnect in the system back then, just a terrible terrible um, uh, bureaucracy that was just a kind of so big one part of the bureaucracy didn't know what the other part was doing they were all kind of independently handling things the way that they wanted to handle them um, so eventually my husband and I were put on a task force to change the laws so we we worked with a, a Colorado um, the Bar Association with the Department of Social Services director 
uh, with the prosecuting prosecutor's office. In other words, we had to work with all of those people that that we did not like. <laughs> all of those people who were involved in our prosecution, we had to get together and work with them to change the laws. And they had to actually listen to us and pay attention, which was nice because you know they had to hear our experience so that we could then really focus in on what was wrong with the laws and how they needed to be changed. So we did that and uh, the legislation that we came up with uh, was eventually adopted by the Colorado State Legislature um, and then it was used as a model for legislation in other states. Now this has been quite a while ago so I don't know a lot of the situation of what's happening now. Um, I haven't really stayed up to date with, with it but I have had a few people uh, tell me that there are still some problems in several of the states. Um, you know, I think it's probably pockets. Again, it's areas where uh, the um, the people at the lower levels are just doing their own thing and they're not really overseen very well by the, uh, up the directors and the people who are in charge. Maybe, you know, they don't really know what's going on or maybe they don't really care. So, it's a, inspiring story though how you made it through all of that and are still here though so that's good to hear yeah it, it was it was uh it was quite an experience and um I, I hope to never go through anything like that again but uh i certainly learned a lot and i did get to a point where i had told god i wasn't going to believe in him anymore and i said he, he i said god if if you're really there and you're real you're going to have to prove it to me and it took several months probably close to a year before I, I started accepting the fact that I believed that there was a God again. Um, you know, he, he showed me that he existed in a lot of different ways. Um, so that brought me back to knowing God again and to feeling like I could trust him in spite of what I went through. Yeah. You know, I, I don't blame him for what I went through. It's just, we live in a fallen world. We live in a world where there are people who are selfish and and greedy and and only look out for themselves and sometimes people make mistakes and that the, the mistakes sometimes cause other people um you know to suffer uh there there are so many different reasons why people suffer mm -hmm. and why people go through situations like that um so you know it, it, God is there for us to be able to depend on and rely on that he's always going to be there. Not that he's always going to be pulling us out of a problem or solving our problem for us. So I have a question building off that. Just an interesting take. So do you think that, so kind of going on to that suffering point, do you think since everyone, or I believe that everyone's put here for a purpose, right? Everybody's here for a reason. Yes. Do you think since everybody's here for a reason, everybody goes through what they have to go through so that they can find that reason? Do you think this is just God's way of, he's trying to get you to do what you are here to do, but and sometimes the suffering is just required? What do you think? Yeah, I think that, that you're onto something there. I, I, I don't think he necessarily causes our suffering. Yeah, it's not intentional. But it'll, yeah, but he, he watches as we're going through it, hoping that we're going to catch on pretty soon and realize that we are put here for a purpose and that we do have a reason to be here and to that we needed to learn what that is yeah. and then to to move forward on that so yes i i do agree with that 
So I want to also talk about the uh, doctorate, doctorate on sovereignty. Do you know if that's still active or was that one of the laws that got changed when you were doing your I work? think it's still active as far as I know. I can't imagine that they would want to allow people to sue Be them. Be able to sue. <laughs> so yeah. building off yeah. that, uh, do you think that that is a fair policy because they don't want just people who are upset at them to just lash out and just sue, sue, sue? Or do you think it's... Because in a political setting, it has to be one way or the other. Do you think right. it's fair if they allow, if they're treated like regular people, but just by the nature of their job, they're going to yeah. do in a lot of investigations. So do you think well, they should be allowed? Here's the thing. It Apparently, it if you, you'll probably want to do some research on it, but you'll, what you'll probably find is what I found is that it came from our parent, England, you know, the British Empire. Yeah. So sovereign immunity means you cannot sue the king that was where it came from so not that what didn't really pertain to the government but we adopted it i'm i'm guessing canada probably adopted i'm guessing you've got the same thing and um so it just it just sort of flowed from that but this the government is not a king Uh, first of all it it doesn't really even apply because it's not the same thing the government is a bunch of people that make mistakes so i don't see any reason why the government should be free from being sued i mean that they should be liable to be sued just like anyone you know they they need to uh, because otherwise you're going to end up with what we had yeah um you know people just doing whatever they felt like doing um and not having any consequences there's no repercussions Mm -hmm. so even if you do it wrong there's no reason to change Exactly. Yeah, that's a fair point. So then building off the CPS, well, I have a similar one for this. Do you think CPS should be attacking so hard? Because I can uh, just playing devil's advocate here now. If if some if a child was abused and then the people were just denying what happened, do you think it's fair that they should come? Do you think it's they maybe did that because it's protecting more children over the long term? And some people Mm -hmm. just since it's so black and white get caught up. Do you think that's why or do you think? You know, everybody, regardless, should have their fair and equal day in court, I guess. Yes, I think that what happens and what what happened in our case is that um, there was no investigation. You know, they didn't they didn't really bother to talk to anybody else or even interview our other daughter. They, They didn't interview any of their relatives. They didn't interview anybody who uh, might have been in a place where they could have said, yeah, there's something hinky going on. But, you know, so they just, they were out to get one more person in their system because they were getting funding off of every case they opened. Ah. So there was no reason for them not to find something, you know, they they had no reason to say, oh, well, there really isn't any abuse here. Because the benefits aligned to when there is. Yeah. So, so that that was part of the problem with the laws, um, and it, you know that it's it just is one of those things that it, you have to have some kind of accountability somewhere. That's true. But I do have to tell you what happened with our Department of Social Services after we'd gone to the director and we'd complained to him about it, um, and he finally did an investigation on it. He was new. He actually hadn't been there when we went through the situation he was like only had been there for a year 
And so he didn't know any of this that was going on. And so he started asking around and he started interviewing. We would send people to him that we knew had also been abused by the system. And he would talk to them and he got their stories. And there were so many stories that he, after a while, he realized there's really something here. There's something going on. So he established a quality assurance program um, to make sure that he started approaching it like, okay, these people are our clients and we need to treat them as clients, not like, you know, just commodities that we can just bring in and abuse, like what was happening at the time. So, so that made a huge difference. Um, and I think Colorado's in better shape now, although he eventually left, he didn't stay that much longer. I know what, what happened because we're, we're friends now. <laughs> so for me to be friends with the director of Department of Social Services, the former director is, yeah. you know, um, pretty amazing. But we stay in touch and, it's good. you know, keep, keep yeah, every every week or so I get his newsletter and he gets mine and, you know, we chat back and forth. So it, it that's another thing that can happen is you and I think it's really important is forgiveness. Yeah. You can't move on until you forgive people. And once you get to the point where you can start forgiving people for the unforgivable, then, you know, your, your life is going to be so much better. Um, I agree with you that. Know, yeah, you're not going to be hung up in bitterness and anger. It, it's, you, you can begin to enjoy your life again. Yeah. So uh, I have a question again. So I want to ask from your perspective now on a broad level, how do you think, um, based on your experience, how do you think the CPS should operate just on a broad level, the way they handle mm -hmm. a matter? So a case comes in, how, how should they go about it? I, uh, well, I think that there should be a, an established procedure that they go through. Um, you know, here's, here's how are they going to handle it based on the level of credibility of what came in you know did it did this come from an ex-wife where there's a bitter divorce going on for example you know that might be something might be a little bit less credible but still you know based on the level of potential credibility might tell them who else they need to talk to you know what kind of investigation they need to start but there needs to be some kind of investigation it should never be just you know uh, an immediate reaction you take the child that's that um, and another thing that needs to happen also is that when the courts uh, consider evidence, and this happened in our case all the time, uh, both criminal court and in the civil court, in civil court is where the Department of Social Services operates, and that's where they can take your parental rights away. So, but the, the problem, especially in civil court, although this happened in, in uh, my husband's trial as well, is that they... Um, the judge can decide how much weight to put on each of the pieces of testimony that are brought forward. He can decide, okay, this person I'm going to believe them and that person I'm not going to believe them just because of whatever his decision is. But we found out what was happening. Everything, every piece of, of in information or evidence that we would present, if it was discounted by social services and they said no that didn't happen the judge would automatically believe them there was no back and, we, and forth there was no there was never any that's why i was getting so extremely frustrated and eventually just tried to kill myself because it was like so i felt like i was on another planet this is not the united states they don't operate this way i thought 
But in, back then in the child protection system, that is how they were operating. And But it shouldn't be that way. It shouldn't be that way in any of the courts. It should always be a much more fair weighing of the evidence. Everybody has the right to defend themselves. Yes, and way. you know, and, and the right to present evidence and the right for that evidence to be weighed uh, carefully Equally. and not just tossed out because you're the defendant. Yeah, because otherwise what, happen is, what happens with you People yes. just get caught up in the system. Yes, exactly. And then you can never get out. And you and you know. And then the other thing is, like, uh, they put my husband's name on a child abuse registry. So I mean, that and that carries that goes with you for life. You're you're on a child abuse registry. If you're trying to get a job, they're going to look at that and see your name on there. And they put they put his name on that before he ever went to trial. They just immediately decided that you know oh he's guilty and put his name on the registry and then even after he was found not guilty they didn't take it off until we went to court and petitioned for them to remove it so we had to fight that too so it's like stacked against you in a way from the beginning <laughs> yeah totally yeah stacked is the right way because there are layers there's you know the the civil layer and of course there's the the uh prosecution the the felony um court system and then there's the uh the lower level court which decides you know things like that whether your name is going to be on the uh, registry or not and so you have to there's three different levels of court that you have to go through to clear your name and something like this so we had to go through all of that um so I, we got to be very familiar with the system yeah. and how it worked <laughs> So I want to move on to now uh, more of your journey and how you got through it. So when I was reading your book, I noticed you 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 had a lot of poetry and different things. So, oh, did, was number one was that one of the ways you used to help release and kind of step back from what was going on and just you know release some of that anger and stuff through journaling through poetry? Was that one of the strategies you used? You know, I didn't really start writing poetry much until about until I started writing the book. Um, so that got added, you know, that wasn't really part of my journey, but here's what, what did get us through it. And that was, um, my husband's family. They were so tremendous. It was his, the support and love and care of his family and his sister has his sister and well, my husband as well, but those two were just like a comedy duo. They were a comedy team, and whenever you were around them, you couldn't help but laugh. So that's where the lightheartedness and where you know the the opportunity came from to be able to actually have some relief from the constant pressure, you know, that you feel like you're under. So that that was really the thing that saved uh, saved my sanity, I think, and my husband's as well. And they were Christians too, and you know, so they were very supportive. And um, so that's that was it, is the support of the family. So for someone who's maybe going through tough times, do you have any advice for them to, maybe if their family's just not as, like they're supportive, but they're not the ones to just go out and support, take the first step. How would yeah. any advice for them to go lean on their family for support? How, how, how would they yeah. go about it? Well, you know, uh, it doesn't necessarily have to be family, but one, now there's a huge advantage uh, because of the internet. Yeah. I mean, I'm right now in some groups where we're very supportive of each other. We encourage each other. 
um, you know, I have a new little publishing company um, and there are six of us and we're, we really support each other, you know, and encourage each other on a personal level, not just in what we do with the publishing company. But I would really recommend that everyone have some kind of support system like that. It doesn't have to necessarily be in person, it can be online. I don't think, you know, you necessarily have to know someone in person, but, you know, to, to get acquainted with people, to open up yourself and allow yourself to be seen and known, which is part of what I had to do when I wrote the book. Um, I started the book 30 years ago and I couldn't finish it, but that was because I got to a certain point in the story and it hurt so much to go through that part again when they took my daughter away. And when I got to that part, I had to stop and I put everything away. I put it in a box um, and I forgot all about it until uh, 30 years later when I ran across it in the garage in, in, in a box. I thought I'd thrown it out, but there it was. So I brought it in the house and looked it over again. And I, I happened to have made a friend online who he lived in Nigeria and he was a young man and um, he I wrote to him he wrote to me he was really interested in my life and what it was like over here and so I started telling him about my life and then he wanted to know about my past you know how he started asking questions about my children and you know what was that like and so I ended up going through this whole story with him and telling him what had happened and by the time I got through writing messages back and forth I had practically written my memoir at that point so so between the stuff I had in stuffed away in the garage and then all my messages to this friend um, it was much easier he he dared me at that point he said you have enough for, for a book now and he dared me and said but I bet you won't finish it and so that's all it took so I had to finish it because yep. he said I wouldn't <laughs> so I had to prove him wrong so I did and it's that good. was how I wrote the book. Finally, got the book done. It's good. Yeah. So uh, you mentioned that sharing the uh, experiences. Do you think sharing your experience makes it easier to go through? Um, yeah, I do. I really do. I think if you keep something like that inside and you don't talk about it and you're afraid to tell other people about it, it it's just that much more painful. And and also, if you share it. Um, they may share something that they're going through as well. And that way you can share in each other's um, situations and, and in, be encouraging for each other. So I'm, I'm a, an introvert. Uh, I am one of the biggest introverts you'll ever meet. So, you know, the fact that I completely came uh, honest and laid it all out there I mean, and you know, if you read my book, I I really let it all out as far as complete honesty about myself and my behavior and, you know, what I did and what I didn't do. So, you know, I I did not, I have not been an angel in my life. And, I, and that's pretty clear from my autobiography. But I think that other people need to see that. Uh, you know, I'm not perfect god loves me anyway and so i think that's a, there's a big message there yeah so uh going through those tough times is there any one single piece of advice you would give to your younger self to just maybe help them go through it yeah don't give up you know per persevere just keep going don't give up 
because I, I kept wanting to give up. And uh, so now I would say don't give up. Another thing I would say is don't don't look at the future and imagine the worst thing that can happen. I've heard people say, I've heard, heard people say that one way to uh, move forward is to think about a situation, imagine the worst that could happen, and then realize that, it, that you know, it's probably not going to happen. Well, that doesn't work for me because if I can imagine the worst that can happen, it's in my head, it's happened. It's a disaster. So I have to be really careful not to think too far into the future as far as, you know, catastrophizing, as they say, you know, overthinking, constantly thinking, well, if this happens and this will happen, this will happen and that'll happen. And so I would tell myself, don't do that, you know, because I was I was live, living a life of, you know, of disaster that really never ended up happening the way that in my mind it did. Would you say focus on the positive side or would you say just kind of stay in the moment, the present? Yeah, stay in the present. Stay in the present and and stay in the present and the positive side of the present as well. You know, I, I mean, you can understand what you're going through, but still stay in the present and know that there are, are so many other things that are going on behind the scenes that you don't know about that you can't possibly imagine and predict the future you know i i used to think that i would know what was going to happen but i don't know what's going to happen so building off of that um another point you mentioned that i think is really interesting how did you forgive the people who did the unforgivable well it started with having to work with them in that um that task force and uh i i had to get to a point where i looked at it from their perspective of what they you know what here's their job this is what they do uh this is you know day in and day out and some of them i had to also think about the fact that they probably themselves had been abused and so they're going to see things through a whole different lens those kinds of people probably should not be in social services i mean a lot of times they are in social services because you know they're drawn to that and because they want to help but if they haven't become healed from their own situation, from their own experiences, then they're not going to be able to fairly look at someone else's situation and judge or try to determine what happened. So you have to so heal I, your trauma first. Yeah, that's right. They really need to be healed from trauma. And that's something that is up to the responsibility of the administration to make sure that the people in those positions are, you know, are able to fairly and accurately assess other situations um and then i have to tell you about this one lady though she was the the head of social the the, the social workers and so she reported to the director of social services but she and on her own was also a director and uh i said to her during these this time as we were hammering out the the laws I said, um, you know, you thought I was a bad mother because I did not kick my husband out of the house. I said, now knowing what you know that he is was innocent, he was found not guilty. Um, I said, I I said I think you still think I'm a bad mother. 
And she said, yes, I do. And that just shocked me. And, and it made me realize that that didn't matter to them. What mattered to those people that I was dealing with at that time was that I believed them. That was the most important thing. Not that whether the abuse occurred or not, but that I believed them. So there's a serious problem when you've got someone like that in, in some kind of position of power. That they're, That the most important thing is that you are somehow subservient or you believe them or or you know that, that your uh you know you're 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 giving them their due you know them they they're looking for respect for themselves instead of looking for truth so uh building off that point too so i can imagine that there was probably a lot of bad opinions or people saying things to you, how did you how did you kind of learn to block that out and just you know not let other people's judgment or opinions, you know, hurt you? Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's that's true. Being an introvert probably helps because I could shut people out. You know, I just did not. I just didn't deal with them. I didn't. I just avoided them. Um, it would again. The only thing that saved us at that time was having. Uh, Clark's family they believed they believed us of course they knew yeah they believed us so that was that was as long as we had them they believed us it didn't matter what anyone else thinks didn't matter I didn't care about it have have that support system who believes in yeah right yeah they'll keep you true and and you're right everybody everybody is against you they just assume that they they believe where there's smoke there's fire we used to hear that a lot where there's smoke there's fire so because uh, we were accused, therefore, had to be something there. That's what they thought. So, yeah, everybody else thought that we were guilty. The innocent until proven guilty kind of came out the window. Was yep. really there. Yep. Do you think that is going on just in general in, like, I guess, the Western court system just as a whole? Or do you think that's specific to just the uh, family court? No. Yeah, I think it pretty much happens as a whole. I think people are looked on as, as, you know, that if they're accused of something, there must be some reason that they were accused. They weren't just accused right out of out of the blue for no reason. So yeah, I'm sure that that's a, a problem, and people have to, you know, climb a hill, yeah. um, back to get back into where people are going to believe them again. And one of the reasons that, you know, we moved from Colorado to Texas, that's another reason that I wanted to move was I got to a point where I became well known because I was so vocal about everything that had happened to us. And I just never shut up. And we were on national television, um, you know, up talking about this. And I got recognized. I couldn't go to a grocery store without being recognized in Colorado Springs. So Moving to Texas, we didn't tell anybody who we were. <laughs> that was on purpose, then I'm guessing. Yeah, yeah. So, you know, it was nice to have that uh, that freedom from, um, you know, from notoriety. Yeah. Uh, after we moved to Texas, and now then I wrote my autobiography, and now I'm in trouble again. <laughs> you what, what happened now? Everybody knows. Uh, okay. <laughs> so the notoriety is back. I can't. Yes. Now I can't hide anymore. <laughs> I'm trusting the book did quite well. It's it, it it's doing well. It's still doing well. Yes. Yeah, I think bringing awareness to these issues is a big part of it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, 
yeah i'm i'm just happy that it's really helped seem to have helped a lot of people yeah, your voice spoke it's like the lorax it spoke for a lot of other people who weren't speaking or were maybe afraid to speak or couldn't yeah yeah it did yeah so i want to go into a little deeper so what was like maybe three strategies that you used to help you get through this time um well the one i talked about is to don't think ahead don't don't start to try to you know figure out all the bad things that are going to happen so you know pull back and live in the moment um the relationship with god is like key also uh, because if you are living in the moment and you're trusting god then you can just take it just moment by moment and you don't have to feel that you know i i'm uh, the other thing about my personality and in, in addition to being an introvert is i'm controlling i i want to control circumstances and i had to let go of that uh i can't control things i'm you know and it's and it's obviously it's obvious to most people you can't control anything very little you can control so um i had to let go of that and uh, that was another one if you if you're a controlling kind of person who wants everything to go the way that you have it planned then let go of it so it's, it would be trust in god live in the mm -hmm. present and let go of control stop don't try and yeah. control everything so great yes tips. yes so uh, i want to move or actually is there anything else you want to add before i go on to some questions that i just there are kind of questions i ask everyone that are not fully related to the interviews or anything you want to hit yeah. upon you know um another thing i would say is to be open to relationships because i had to close myself off because i couldn't take all the people feeling like we were guilty but you, you really i think it's important to be open to relationships with people and uh, because there can be a lot of good things that come from from that uh so that's my other tip kind of like don't block yourself out because then you also block out the good yes exactly it's a good tip so uh this one i guess kind of relates to what you're saying you, do you, you know how people mention that we have the matrix as a metaphor are you familiar with it yes do you think we have that uh we're living in the matrix in other words yeah do you think that um, goes on you know some people at their top are like the machines in a way do you think that's happening um now if you mean that are we living in a simulation no no not not like okay. in a simulation but just the premise of not literally they're using it, or not literally where their batteries and the machines in a, a simulation but more of like you're trapped in that system that system is still there to trap you and just have you working and going in that cycle and that yeah. there's some people up above who are trying to keep you in it uh hmm that's an interesting idea i haven't really thought about that too much exactly uh it, you know in other words we don't have free will we're being controlled by uh other people yeah i guess in a way they're kind of yeah, like um the um like uh right now i see a lot of tyranny in government for example um where the government wants to they manipulate people yeah. by the things that they do. So yeah, I see that a lot of that. Um, they they try to keep people from finding solace and comfort in religion, 
you know they don't want there to be religion so they 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 do what they can to try to discourage people from being religious um so yeah if that's what you mean yeah i definitely see that there are uh there are elements out there trying to manipulate the average person trying to keep everyone in every way yeah in what they game. believe yeah and what they do uh-huh yeah there's a lot of that so building... worse now than ever right i think it's worse now than well yeah. in in my i'm not i'm not young so i've seen a lot and it seems worse now than it was before but you know and just from my perspective so then just kind of going more into the political aspect do you think what do you think government uh regulation do you think it should be more so have, are you familiar with milton friedman yeah I've so do you think it should be kind of more like that where government only really steps in when the market will do a worse job than them so kind of when the government is only the lesser of the two of us do you agree with that type of philosophy um i'm not enough familiar with that but i do I, I believe I'm a believer in capitalism. Um, I'm not a believer in a lot of government. Yeah. I think there is way too much government yeah, right, especially now. right now. Uh, too much. Yeah, definitely too much control, too many regulations. Um, they're, you know, they're controlling the things that they are allowing us to know or to see, um, you know, the news, I, who can believe the news anymore? Oh, yeah, you don't really know. No. Yeah there's no way to know what's really really happening in the world because it's being controlled yeah uh so uh, you know i read the book 1984 uh, if you're familiar with the book i've heard of that book uh, but i haven't read it oh you need to read it oh my I'll gosh give it a, I'll, yeah. I'll give it a look absolutely you need to read that that should be number one on your reading I'll add that list, to my yeah. list 1984 yeah george orwell uh that in that book you will see so many parallels between what was going on in that society and what's happening now and uh, you know he he had things like there there was the department of like ministry of truth that rewrote truth they rewrote history so that um the things that actually happened in history they wrote them differently so when people went back to read about history they would read the new history that yeah. somebody had just made up um there was a, they called it big brother uh there were cameras everywhere even in people's homes um so people never had any any freedom or any kind of privacy at all it, it it's really a very very fascinating book and so many times even now it just comes back to me things that happened in that book so building off that what's one thing you think people can do to take back control of their lives I guess try to, you, you know, people can get involved in politics, maybe that can help, um, and try to, to, you know, support any politicians that are, and if there are any, I don't know, <laughs> any politicians that might be in favor of less government, yeah. um, then I would, I would personally support that. But with my experience with government, anybody who thinks that the government is the answer is yeah. totally wrong and here's something i always think about ronald reagan said uh the most frightening words in and i'm paraphrasing the most frightening words in the english language are i'm from the government and i'm here to help he said that yeah roughly ronald yeah. reagan yes yes i'm from the government and i'm here to help run for your life <laughs> 
Yeah. So uh, I have about just two more questions, and uh, you're good on time that way. Yeah. So just uh, these are two questions I ask every every person I interview at the end. So number one is: Are humans created equally? Um. Uh, created equal. You would say they are. I would say we are all equally loved by God, and we are all valued by God in the same the same amount. No one is worth it any more than anybody else is. We're all human. We're all. Yeah, we're all. We yes. Uh-huh. I like that answer. And then number two, do you think a equal uh, like uh, everybody should have equal stuff, e- like equality, total equality is equality the thing to of outcome. For? Equality of outcome can never happen. So, what do you think we should strive for instead? Or humanity should strive for? Equality of opportunity and equality of outcome are the two opposite things. Equality of opportunity means you you have opportunities for people. Yep. Not everybody's going to take advantage of the opportunity. You know, you if you give someone an opportunity to have a job and work hard and do well then that they should be rewarded for their for working hard mm-hmm. you give the same another person the same opportunity to have a job and work well and they quit the job and decide they don't want to work you know there are they should not get the same equality of of uh, kind of like you uh, kill what you eat like that yeah, yeah. right you, there should not be equity is that that concept that everybody should end up with the same yeah. Everybody should not end up with the same. Everybody should end up with what they they work towards and what they have earned. I agree with that. Yeah, I mean, then there there are, of course are people who are unable to yeah. take care of themselves or unable to do. And like you you said in the beginning, everyone has a purpose. It's everybody's responsibility to find their purpose. And if someone thinks their purpose is to lie around and and you know smoke. Uh, weeds all day joints sorry <laughs> then and and you know or drink all day i mean that's that's choice yeah. and uh, it's but it's not productive it's not what god put people on earth to do um we're here to love each other and to care for each other and and that's it you know it's a good answer so uh, now before we end the interview, is there one piece of advice or one key takeaway or one thing you just want to share with the audience? Wow. <laughs> um, you know, <clears throat> I, have, I have come to know and love God in a way I never did before. Every day more so than the, than the day before. And it's it has come from trusting and so the more you trust god in your life to uh to be involved in it and to help you out the more you're going to trust the more love you're going to feel god is love therefore you're going to feel that much more love you're going to have more love to give to other people it's just a a circle so trust in that higher power yes all right and uh susan if people want to uh where can people find you um, I think the easiest way, I have a website called Soul Sunshine. That's the publishing company I mentioned. Um, so Soul Sunshine, I also have a website. It's called SusanLouiseGabriel.com. Uh, and I an email, if someone wants to email me, they can email me at um, books at SoulSunshine.com. And this Soul Sunshine is spelled S-O-U-L. 
S-O-N-S-H-I-N-E, like the sun of God, rather than the sun in the sky. And I'll uh, be sure to link all of that in the description. So thank you guys all so much for tuning in.